Breaking the Silence with Dr. Gregory Williams. Dr. Williams is the author of the acclaimed book, Shattered by the Darkness, Putting the Pieces Back Together After Child Abuse. Dr. Williams is on the senior leadership team at Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, Texas, and Dr. Williams travels the United States speaking and training professionals, parents, and victims about the importance of dealing with abuse and personal trauma head-on and not being afraid to break the silence of your own personal pain. Feel free to call in to tonight's show at 888-627-6008 and speak with Dr. Williams and his guests live on air. And now, your host, Dr. Williams. Welcome to Breaking the Silence. I am Greg. Welcome into my home tonight. I was just looking out the back window here. It looks like there's very few uh, cars on the, the roads here at the Houston Medical Center. And uh, you, normally it is bumper to bumper all the way down, four or five blocks all the way down to the, the Baylor College of Medicine, Texas Children's Hospital, where I work. But it's just great having you with us tonight. Uh, here we are a week before Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve will be a week from tonight. We will be running a repeat next Sunday night uh, of the program we had last week. Uh, so for the next couple of weeks, we'll have repeats. Uh, but then we'll be back at the beginning of 2024 with a brand new set of great, great guests. And we have an unbelievable guest tonight. That I just can't wait to uh, get into some discussion with him. Uh, but then I want to let you know there's several ways you can get involved in the program tonight. First of all, you can just grab some coffee, lean back, and just listen and watch and just take it all in. Or you can actually participate by uh, getting online with the Shattered by the Darkness Facebook page. We're running live right now. I'm looking at it over here. My son, all the way in uh, Tokyo, Japan, in the United States Army, is running that for me. And he will comment uh, with any comments or anything. If you have a question, feel free to jump on there and comment on that. Or you can call directly to the wonderful station, uh, BBS Radio, and they, with their radio voice, they will answer the phone and patch you right on to our guest tonight. And uh, we don't screen or anything. We'll just bring you on and have you talk straight to our guest and myself, and we'll find out what's on your mind, any comments or questions you have. Or you can do it one other way. 832-396-6525 is my personal cell phone number. I'm one of the craziest people that actually put this out all the time, everywhere I talk. And so it's always ringing and vibrating and and uh, coming through with texts and emails. But you're welcome to uh, text your question during this next hour uh, of the program, 888-627-6008. You know, I typically uh, always open up the program with about, oh, five, six minutes of me just telling you what's going on with my life. And I just closed my journal and just toss it over here on the couch because I think I want to get straight to our guest tonight. Um, a lot of times we have to do uh, in the radio business is what is called uh, added fill, and we have to stretch it out to uh, make it sure it gets a good uh, full hour. Tonight, I don't think our guest is going to have any problem with that because his wisdom, his expertise, his experience, his knowledge, uh, everything that he has within him 
uh, is going to be able to give you things that you may need and we desperately need in our lives right now. Can you think of anything that is more precious on this earth than our children? I can't. I, I just, I, I just flat can't. And I would like for, uh, us to be able to re, be involved in something that helps protect. And there's so many things that's going on right now in our world that our children are, are vulnerable out there. And um, to be honest with you, I, I don't want to say this too loud. I like children more than I do adults most of the time because they're innocent, they're they're honest, and you can just see the joy in their eyes and in their life. And when something happens to them that hurts them, uh, unbelievable to think that that could happen to an innocent child. We have somebody tonight, Jason Frey, a retired detective from the San Bernardino County Sheriff's Department. He was a detective that's primarily that investigated crimes against children. And basically, he was the trainer that trained all the the uh, recruits in the academy on how to respond, how to investigate the allegations of child abuse and sex crimes. And in addition, he also taught the senior officers and supervisors how to conduct those in-depth investigations that dealt with those type of incidents. And just to talk, just to correspond and communicate in a proper way is huge. And uh, he has a master's of science degree in counseling psychology from the wonderful California Baptist University. And uh, after his retirement, he has been working as a psychotherapist. And uh, he is an international speaker. Matter of fact, every time I get on uh, LinkedIn or uh, get an email from a very popular conference, there he is right there as a keynote or a speaker or doing a workshop on the side. Unbelievable. It is my privilege to introduce to you and bring you onto the program for an awesome 45 minutes, 50 minutes of wisdom. You're going to need a pencil, paper, and an ink pen to write down some of this stuff. Jason Frey. Jason, can you hear me tonight? I can hear you, Greg. Thank you so much. All right. Fantastic. Well, I'm glad to have you. Um, we are going to... Um, Go into some wonderful things. You're located now still in California, you and your wife? No, I'm actually in Cibolo, Texas, just on the outskirts of San Antonio. In Texas. Well, you know, you finally came to heaven. I, you know, I was in, uh, I was in Illinois for years and I said, I don't know what took me so long to get to, to, to Houston, but I'll tell you what, it's just this close, in my opinion, to heaven. I love the state of Texas. Yes, and since you said that, I'm, I'm looking for the comparison. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. Tell me, Jason, what what do you do uh, right now in your retirement that motivates you and gets you passionate about life? And you just say, hey, I am so glad I woke up this morning and I want to accomplish this. What would that be in your life right now? Well, I, I have this little flyer on my nightstand that says, I'm not retired. I'm a full-time grandpa. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So uh, we, my wife and I, we are blessed to have two wonderful grandchildren and another one on the way. And we're able to spend a lot of time with them. But in my spare time, I work as a uh, victim advocate trainer. Um, 
putting on trainees for, you know, others with uh, violence, abuse, and trauma, um, being actual psychotherapists. And then my wife and I actually train uh, clinicians how to, um, how to prepare diagnostic evaluations for those seeking immigration cases. So the true asylum, uh, violence against women, U visas where they're victims of crime, and T visas where they're uh, human trafficking victims. How important do you think when you're out there doing work with survivors, overcomers, thrivers, however they want to be interpreted uh, and called nowadays, everybody has their own preference. How important is it to be knowledgeable on how to communicate and be trauma-informed, which is kind of a catchphrase anymore, and sometimes it's used too much, but it is important. But what are some of your great words of wisdom when you're talking to people that interact uh, with these survivors and and thrivers uh, to be trauma-informed? How important is that? You you struck a a very, uh, very close nerve there. Because what I see in training is that people have complete misconceptions. And so people who even think they're trauma-informed will say and do things which are completely throwing that person back in the trauma, putting on that shame that they've dealt with. Then those may be very difficult for them to overcome and say, hey, I, I, this is what happened to me. And then they're looking for for resources to either change that life or to get into you know a better part of life for themselves. And what we see is people will have their their own conception. So, um, and, and part of it I have to look is you know uh, I can look at the, the two cups that that I really carry. One being that law enforcement side, but the other being a, a therapist. And so I can say, you know, I, I get this. You know, we have to look at this is what defines, you know, uh, a human traffic uh, victim. This is what makes them that survivor. But put on really that the therapist hat. This is what makes them that thriver. And wow. uh, I... I should say I set the stage in a recent training down in San Diego and I had, uh, oh guy, I had victim advocates. I had prosecutors. I had therapists, clinicians. And I said, you know, you're going to meet a human traffic survivor in this training. I have one coming in. And so we, we went through all that. And a couple of times I reminded me, okay, we're going to have somebody in here at the end of this. And then I put up a picture of what everyone is expecting a human trafficker to look like, meaning uh, the branding, the tattoos, the the outlandish hair, the um, risque clothing, and and so then I, I came about. And now, how are they expected to go back home when they look like that? And they they know what they've done, and they think everybody else does. And, and the thing is. You know, we bear those burdens. Other people don't know what we've gone through or what they've gone through. So, you know, when somebody isn't trauma-informed and they say something like, well, weren't you just a prostitute or a more derogatory word? And it's that will really, you know, set, you know, a different stage. And that's with with 
the survivors, that was a chapter of their life. That is not their life. And what we have to look is, you know, we don't know what led them there, but they left it. We need to leave it there. Let's move on with, you know, the positive things in their life. Do you find that old cliche of, well, the question that I hear a lot is, why didn't you just leave? Uh, you're out on the street by yourself. You're in with your 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 next uh, client, per se. Why didn't you just run when you finish instead of go back out to uh, the person that considers to own you, your Romeo? But how how ignorant is that question? Why didn't you just run? You know, Greg, I'm thinking you're going to some of my tra- my trainings now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that that is. When I'm talking with clinicians and we're working on the immigration, especially for the T visas for trafficking uh, victims, survivors, we're trying to convince a trier of facts so that whether that be a judge or an administrative officer reviewing that, that it's not what you and I think is easy for them to leave them. Like, you know what? This isn't for me. This is horrible. Um, I'm, I'm just going to leave. And what we have to think is their self-esteem has been beat down so poorly. You know, they they don't have the personal backbone at that time, generally. They don't have the financial resources. And then if we look, throw some children on them, throw the branding and everything that they're, as you said, they're Romeo. Uh, we'll, we'll just say, you know, the, the person who has enslaved them, <laughs> um, everything they've done to mess with their head. And thinking what they, they've they heard maybe so much in their youth, you're no good. You're not worthy. You know, um, the Dallas uh, Police Department years ago actually came up with what's called the Dallas Model of Human Trafficking. And they identified young runaways. And what they said is if they're, you know, put them somewhere around 10 to 14, 15, and they're frequent runaways, they are the most prone to become victims of human trafficking. Because how can they survive on the streets? You know, they can only do so much couch surfing and then somebody's going to find them and propose a a different lifestyle for them, which will sound grand at first, but be far from it. Yeah. You know, I, uh, I'm a uh, certified Texas uh, CME provider trainer for uh, medical physicians to get their hours that they have to have in the state of Texas to keep their license up to date. Uh, keep it going. It, and I present to a lot of physicians, and I, I'm always amazed with the slide that I present that so many of these survivors, uh, why they were in being trafficked, get in front of a doctor, and zero uh, percent, at least in the slide, uh, ever get asked, "Are you in a situation where you're not safe?" Uh, they they come in, they get treated, they leave, and they never catch uh, the signs uh, or ask the questions and whether they would even get the right answers if they did ask the questions. But for them to be within an office to where security is right outside the door and to let that be overseen is a tragedy. We have to do better than that. I have such a great point. And so coming from the law, law enforcement perspective of this, my initial trainings going back 15 years ago were really discussing 
who's going to be the first one to see the signs of trafficking? It's going to be the medical staff. Okay. And, and this sounds horrible, but a human traffic victim, when they're in that realm, is a commodity. Yeah. There's somebody who is being bought and sold on an hourly basis. Okay. And so we can look at different numbers, but on average, one person's bringing in about $750,000 for this person. So will that, uh, that Romeo, that, that, you know, person who's putting him in that situation, will they make sure they get, you know, medical care? Absolutely. They don't want to lose a day of productivity off, off, you know, you know, that person. And what I, I'm really bewildered is how the medical profession hasn't built more into how to screen and how to save these, these men and women and part of a a myth. It's only women. Oh no, no, no. It's, it's men and women. And then we can look at transgenders, you know, it, it is, it's human beings who this is happening to. And, and some have good resources to provide, but most do not. And I, I happen to be at a, a wonderful graduation at that university uh, you're affiliated with. Okay. Uh, my, my sister is getting her doctorate as a nurse practitioner. Oh. And so while I was there, I was listening to the, the pinning and two people were on a, a program, which was human trafficking, the role of nurses in school settings. Wow. And so now I want you to think about this. We're talking, if we look at the Dallas model, we're talking about kids. If we can bring these first line screeners into the schools, how awesome is that? Because now we know they're not with their abuser while they're in school. Now they can get resources. And I'm like, oh my gosh, we're in 2023 and these two, you know, doctorates, you know, candidates came up with this and I think it will go very far and it should become more of a model across America. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Let's, let's turn the corner, uh, widen the, the spectrum here a little bit. Tell me about what wisdom you have on what's going on now. And I think COVID was sometimes a good thing. That we, there's some good things that came out of COVID, but some of the bad things that came out of COVID was probably the more uh, time spent in front of a computer, in front of your phone for our children. What kind of world are we living in right now from your uh, experience and and education and and wisdom? Uh, Is the digital world and the safety or the lack of safety? And do parents have a clue on what is happening to their children while they're in the room, in the bedroom, alone, hours at a time on their phone or laptop? Boy, that is a, a loaded question. Let me take a, some oxygen so I can give it to, to you so that, fast. That's going to take the rest of the hour. <laughs> so when I got into, uh, for my department, I was the lead detective in charge of the Internet Crimes Against Children um, portion of it. And we were part of the Los Angeles Internet Crimes Against Children Task Force. And really, I I had blinders on. I only knew the tip of the iceberg. And then when I started getting educated, I'm like, oh, my goodness. You know, um, we look, you know, kids have been using cell phones and, you know, social media for 
in the last 20, 30 years, it's a way of life for them. And so when you look at, you know, us who who have a little bit of a, you know, gray hair, it it was different. We we had, had phones, you know, in a central location in our house, you know, it rang. Uh, anybody else who picked up another phone house, they heard the same conversation you were on and you can only go as far as that phone would let you, you, you take it. But now we give these, these kids many computers and they, they can't get away from the bullying, you know, with, with all the social media things, you know, when you and I, we had a problem where we're like, oh, we're on spring break, we're on winter break, summer break, nobody's going to bug us. It's not that way for kids nowadays. You know, their life is really revolving around social media and, you know, how many likes they have, what are people saying about them? And they, the constant need to, to get on there and defend themselves, see what people are saying about them and, and different things like that. But then what's even worse is they take that phone and they go in their room and they're isolating you know, and, and here's another myth that the kids frequently have. The person they think they're talking to is who they think they're talking to. And frequently it's not. It is a complete stranger. And um, it, it causes, you know, so many problems with that. And so when we looked into COVID and we took away the the kids going to a brick and mortar school. Okay. They were away from their electronic digital footprint for a while but then we take them out of school we put them back at home and we're like you're doing distance learning now and now they're forced to be online maybe even kids who didn't have a cell phone before now they had to be on a computer and for the lower income they were a lot of them were given hotspots so they could log on and so you know that that opened them up for victimization And, and here's another thing that most of us aren't prepared to talk to our children about these types of things. Um, and if I could just say uh, on, on the Internet Crimes Against Children Task Force, we can post things that are very innocuous, non-threatening, that could be used completely for bad. And I, I had a, a, a good friend with Los Angeles uh, or Los Angeles Police Department, who is the, the leader of, of the task force. And so she says, Jason, she says, I want you to look at this picture. She says, this is what I do for a living. She says, and I messed up. She says, look at my social media post. I'm like, okay. She says, zoom in on my dog's collar. She says, I have my my dog, my my personal phone and my address there. And so these are things that we don't think about. But if I can give the word creepers, they're thinking about it and they're staying tuned like oh now i got your got your your phone number i got your address you know and they do a little bit of digital surfing and they go oh well you know what you have some siblings now i know about your mom now i know about your dad and i was working at a case and it, it was a sad case it was a mother of a special education student and she says you know this guy has been sextortion you know yeah. with, with my my daughter you know where they're saying that, you know, you have to send me these pictures or literally he said, or I will destroy your world. And this 15 year old girl says, I'm 15. You know who I am. Why are you doing this to me? And then it came across with some you know, negative, negative derogatory comments. And 
do it or I will, you know, destroy your life. And then that person did exactly that. Went through the Facebook, started reaching out to the mother, the grandmother, and all of her friends. And so got in touch with me, you know, to, to report this. And so I have to go after search warrant after search warrant. So about five search warrants, I finally get to, okay, now I know who this person is. It wasn't even my jurisdiction. So now I do a lengthy, probably about a hundred page report with all the, the volume of information. I ship it up to the, the department who's has the jurisdiction and I'm hoping they do a good follow up and they, they, they did, but there's a lot of work in there. And this is where most of us feel very comfortable giving a tablet or a phone or, or electronic device to a child, not realizing that people will be out there trying to exploit things in so many different ways. Uh, I don't know if you saw the game uh, Words with Friends um, just as an app, but in it, it had a text feature. You could private message people. And, and so if there's a means for somebody to talk to somebody, there's a means to exploit them. Oh. How prominent um, is sextortion right now? Are, I mean, are are the parents still, uh, and grandparents, like I am, uh, putting our head in the sand and saying, hey, wait, uh, this isn't that big of a deal. It happens to other people, other families. Uh, how, how prevalent is this issue of when they're online, there's somebody watching them and trying to get uh, them hooked? Before I got in the realm of looking at human trafficking to investigate it, I was actually working with some school resource officers. And so those school resource officers were working at the the middle school and the high school level. And they're the ones who gave me the best education. They said, these boys and girls, they fall in love. And we know at at that age, those relationships don't last too long. You know, you know, they're, they're in love with this person. And then it gets... Will you send me some pictures? Or they maybe they voluntarily send the pictures. What was found is those pictures circulate for about three years. You know, and it gets even worse once that 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 boyfriend, girlfriend, or whatever the relationships were, once they break up, because now we get a little spite in there and a little manipulation and things like that. And so it, it gets spread around in so many different areas. Um but to look at what you're saying, do we do we have our, our you know head in the sand? And I have to look at the term innocence lost. That was the motto of, of my division. Okay, once that child's innocence is lost, we can't we can't put it back. We can't restore it. Okay, so if they've been exposed to these things. You know, that's, you know, baggage that they have to deal with now. And, you know, now are, you know, they're that victim status or they the survivor status. And really when I look at when I teach victim advocates, I'm like, what is the difference between a victim and a survivor? And normally I'll get them to go a victim, you know, is either just going through this or just recently. And the survivor, it's a mental aspect they've come from it yes so now we're, we're working on, on healing then thriving is obviously you know they, they've surpassed that but it doesn't negate it doesn't take it away you know it still happened so 
when I got involved with investigating these things, I, I started to learn about modems and, and setting up, you know, with my modem and my router, governing how my children could could get on and the hours they could get on to the Internet. And it's so funny because uh, they, they wouldn't directly come to me because they were supposed to be off their phones, you know, at, at bedtime. But, you know, they, they'd go up to mom. Hey, mom, you know, is something wrong with the Internet? And she knew what I did. And uh, she's like, no. I don't think anything's wrong with the internet. Seems to work fine for us. You know, when is this happening? Oh, I don't know. You know, they might say it's after 10 o'clock or whatever. But recognizing you as a parent can set filters for that. As a parent, I pay the phone bill for my kids. I'm like, give me your phone. Give me your passwords. It's my phone. If you don't want to do that, you don't need to have a phone because I need to trust you. But I don't trust the people who may want to talk to you. So my my daughter and my son knew that at any given time, you know, that mom or dad were going to look at those phones, you know, and look at the deleted pictures and text messages, you know, and are there any hidden apps? And maybe that's a little gem that a lot of people don't realize. There are hidden apps that people use to communicate. And that's what's incumbent upon a parent to find out what is out there. How can my child be hurt? Wow. Hey, well, we're going to take our commercial break since we're at the bottom of the hour. On the other side of this, Jason, I really want to dig into how do we get keep our kids safe uh, in the digital world? What's some of the the myths of uh, you know? I'm, I'm interested in what's one or two of the apps that if your child has them on the phone, they need to get them off right now. Uh, that's the most prevalent of being uh, overly abused, uh, and then also some of the myths about stranger danger. Uh, about uh, things that we took for granted uh, in the early 70s that isn't the the way it is now. But we're going to do that. You want to get involved in the conversation, 888-627-6008. Give us a call, and we will write right back after this. Oh, it's about a minute and 22-second commercial. And uh, don't leave us. This last half is going to be awesome. Hang with us. We'll be right back. HCI Publishing that brought you the international bestsellers, A Child Called It, and the Chicken Soup for the Soul series comes the latest book by Dr. Gregory Williams, Shattered by the Darkness. This book describes the horrific abuse that Dr. Williams suffered at the hands of his father for over 12 years and the damaging effect of keeping everything silent about that abuse for 30 years. If you're looking for that book that you can't put down, then pick up a copy of Shattered by the Darkness by Dr. Gregory Williams at all Barnes & Noble stores, Amazon, and Books A Million. Now, back to Breaking the Silence with Dr. Gregory Williams. We have an awesome guest tonight, Jason Frey, uh, from the, the now living in the great state of Texas, but he is retired out of the uh, California state. Uh, 
San Bernardino uh, Sheriff's Department. And he has the wisdom. And I, I really, as I was sitting there thinking during the course, I was like, you know, we have the privilege of having one of the probably most uh, educated and wise uh, detectives in the industry in our living rooms tonight. What would you ask? And that's the type of uh, questions I want to kind of get into now. Jason, what would you say if you had, uh, and I know you do, a whole arena full, an NRG arena where the Texans played right across the street. If you have that whole arena filled with parents that have kids that are 12, 13, 14, and you could only give a couple points of how to keep them safe with what's going on in our world right now, what would a couple of those points be that we all need to hear? And you have us all on the edge of our seat and we're like this. What would that be, uh, the wisdom that you would share with them? One of the simplest things is to talk with your children. Not talk at, not talk to, but talk with. These Perpetrators use isolation to their advantage. If that child doesn't feel they can communicate with their parent and be heard, they're not going to share these things. So talk with, have the the times where, you know, this is where we communicate. Our rule at our house, when the children were little, no cell phones at the table. And my kids would, would tease me, even though as a non-call detective, like, Dad, no phones at the table. I'm, okay, I'll put it away. So, but what I really want parents to do is take back your right as a parent. There are boundaries. You're the parent. They are the child. Set the example and monitor your child's phone. Pick it up. They don't have a right to privacy when they're under 18. You know, most likely the parent is paying for that. So pick it up. And and you were asking about different apps. Here's the thing. The apps will change tomorrow. The apps are continually evolving. So, but the biggest thing is get on there and go, what's this app do? Let's open it. And when they go, I don't know the password, really. Oh, use your fingerprint, use whatever it is, you know, and, and the parent can take away that phone. They can restrict different things on those phones. You know, you can call up your providers and, and change some things. But the biggest thing is communication, monitor what's on that phone, but monitor your child's behavior. Yeah. You know, when, when you know, I have my cell phone here, but when we see a, a, a child, this is what they're doing, you know, most hours of the day, that is their lifeline. Yeah. We're human beings. We we can talk face to face, you know. You know so, as, I, as I speak at these conferences around the country, very rarely do I get uh, a breakout of applause during the speech. Afterwards, yeah, they all, but during the speech. And the time that I get it more often is when I say something about parents, you need to not be or try to be your child's best friend. That's not why God gave you those children. He gave them to you and allowed you to have that gift to be their parent, their disciplinary, their protector, and they want boundaries. And parents are wanting to be their buddies. 
their best friends. It doesn't work that way. And a lot of people that's listening may say, boy, Jason, you're really an old fuddy-duddy. You mean you would take your phone away? Uh, look, I think children want safe boundaries, do you not? My wife and I, when our children were, were teenagers, uh, both worked in law enforcement. My wife was a mental health therapist for the San Bernardino County Probation Department, working at the juvenile hall. Wow. I was working as a deputy and then detective. We were surrounded by by this all the time. And, and so we had the luxury of knowing the evils that are out there. And so we were also known as the strict parents. But let's see, uh, if I, I look at how this evolved. My daughter's been married for about 10 years. Uh, 10 years next month, and they're expecting their first child next year. Um, she just completed the uh, uh, law school and preparing for her bar exam. Her husband, uh, he basically grew up with us, too. We've known him since they were they were in middle school, so they were, they were sweethearts for a long time. A registered nurse professional. My son has been in the Army just short of 10 years now. Got a, a his bachelor's degree, high grades, has a, a beautiful wife and two girls. And the thing is, we have a relationship very close with, with our kids. So although, yes, we were strict, there was no doubt what my role was as a father, no doubt on what the role was as mom. But right now, we still are in a, a mentoring, but everybody's adults. Now we can work in that friendship, you know, and still give, give, you know, other, other leadership. But when, when they're little, they don't have the benefit of experience. They think they do. They can Google a response great, but they also don't know what's like to live and walk through that experience. You know, that's one thing we can look when we got a little bit of gray. We've had a little bit of life under us. And, And so, you know, we're doing these things for our children because we love them. And as I was explaining to my daughter when she wanted to get married and and she got married right out of high school. And so it's like, okay, honey, you know, we gave birth to you. Mom gave birth to you, (laughs) Uh, you know, but, but we put your little booties on. We, we put your little shoes on as you learned to walk. We, you know, gave you our fingers to walk, you know, then we encourage you to walk on your own and run. We guided you down the right path. Now that you're leaving our household and you're in that full run, we can only trust that we taught you the right way. With parents, you know, I've always advocated that I think our schools buildings should be used uh, during the day to train our children, during the evening to train our parents. Um, I've always advocated that. what some of the things that parents need to be aware of as red flags of, hey, wait, there's a problem there. I'm noticing this. Oh, they're just a good friend. Oh, I'll let them go spend the night. Oh, they're, they're going a weekend on a, on a Boy Scout trip. And is there is there anything nowadays that parents need to really put their ear to the ground and listen and be aware of and notice in their child and in the environment of the child and the people that surrounds them from your experience? 
Mm-hmm. Yes. So if we look, one of the, the biggest indicators is going to be behavior. When the child's behavior changes, we have to look at why. What's the motivation for that change? Um, and with it, with the, the behavior change, maybe we're looking at a different in their programming, what they're listening to on music, what they're listening or watching on TV, YouTube, etc. cetera, um, what they're wearing. Um, but one of the things that I see that so many parents miss is school behavior. They're saying, well, they have great attendance in these classes, but they consistently miss these classes. Like, That's where you need to have your communication. What is going on? So I was talking to a parent the other day. She says, I wake up my children. They leave the house on time. But my daughter is consistently missing first period. Okay, those are things to be alarmed. That is a a red flag right there because what is going on? And so when she pushed that envelope a little bit, well, she found out her her daughter, who's 15, had a boyfriend. So she wasn't going to school. She was going to his house. You know, um, my wife and I doing conferences with human trafficking, we found out that out of traffic survivors were able to tell that that Romeo person education is really important for me I I need to graduate high school so they would let them go to high school but they go you know what I set up a date for you here so you're going to go to school you're going to have to miss that period and we'll get you right back after lunch and these are consistencies okay so now if we start looking as a parent and or if we look at a, a guidance counselor, an attendance person, you know, a teacher, like, you know, something's going on here. You know, there was a saying that came about a few years ago. See something, say something. Let's not operate in a vacuum. If we're seeing behavior changes, it needs to be addressed. And we can't just hold that child accountable we had to bring in in the parents, you know, so we get a, a full picture of what is going on. So any kind of drastic change from grades, hygiene, sleep, eating patterns, uh, isolation, anything that turns from day to night or night to day is just completely a drastic, whoa, that's, she's never done that before, anger, outbursts, things like that, all to throw out some type of flag, right? Yes. And it could seem strange that, you know, when we look at the initial myths that many of us grew up with, stranger danger. Yeah. Um, We don't trust our children with strangers. We, as parents, don't. Doesn't mean our children won't expose themselves to somebody they think they can trust. Mm -hmm. But... So much abuse is happening right underneath parents' eyes. And I I had to laugh because the the suit I'm wearing right now, the last time I wore this suit, um, I was testifying on a a man who he happened to like, I I hate to say this, nine-year-old girls. And the reason why I, I hate to say it that way is that people don't have a belief that a nine year old would be a victim or would be the sexual desire of a grown man. 
And that's what we have to realize that there are people out there that look at our children as their sexual prey. And we have to be mindful of that. So, as I said, last time I wore the suit, um, he had beaten two other cases in two states. Always nine-year-old girls. And so I let the district attorney who was handling the case know. I'm like, hey, he he's beat these other cases. And so literally it's like, okay, we need to ramp up our game because he had the same attorney. That attorney knew how to play the game. And so we were able to present a, a combined, you know, good effort and finally able to get conviction on this man. And so I believe you you talked about ACEs and some of your trainings, uh, yeah. adverse childhood experiences. And so I talk about parents is we look at an adverse childhood experience, and that's something that happens to a child before the age of 18, is sexual abuse, exploitation. Does, does a person getting convicted of a crime is that going to be the big motivator and or help them to get to the next level of, of recovery from there or, or next step, stepping stone? What we have to look at is being believed. When they went and told their parents or they went and told that trusted adult being believed in that. And you're nodding your head. Here, here's one of the biggest things I see is a child, again, someone under the age 18, will throw it out like somebody cast in a line, they're going to give you just a, just a smidge of what's going on. And then it's that trusted adult's reaction will determine whether that door gets opened or closed. Because if you shut them down, they're, okay. But if you're, yeah, you can tell me anything and I'll believe you. Do you have any type of uh, statistics and I'm sure it's probably a guesstimate because I don't think I've seen any, but you may, on the children that have talked to parents and have been told, I don't believe you. That That's Uncle Charlie. Uh, he would never do that. And they totally dispel and dismiss anything. And can you imagine the vulnerability that child has, no matter what age, to look to their mom or dad and and bring up that difficult conversation? And us go, sorry, you're wrong. I don't believe you. Unbelievable. Well, that, that, that's going on to a, another myth that children are liars. You know, yes, do they lie? Absolutely. But you got to think, what are they lying about? Did, did I do my homework? Did I do my chores? Did I do those things? Uh, Uncle Charlie was sexually abusing me. That's not something they're normally going to come up with. You know, um, so when I teach law enforcement, I would say, okay, I, I'm going to show you the, the RAND studies on different things like that. And I said, Man, those are boring statistics and, and things like that. But what I, when I bring it over, I would actually show them somebody who survived that, who used the same RAND statistics. And they said 60% of, um, only 60% of the victims of child abuse and exploitation are reporting it. Only 60%. Look at why. Now we look at, you know, all the, the law enforcement reporting and things like that. It's because they don't think they're going to be believed. They think they're going to be shamed. 
you know, and, and when I teach law enforcement, as you know, we as humans can be really catty. Well, what were you wearing? <laughs> oh my gosh, you went out dressed like that? It doesn't matter what they're dressed like. And now let's bring this down. They're kids, prepubescent. There should be nothing that we could say that is sexually attractive to an adult because we're not thinking about that. You know, that is somebody else having a, a deranged viewpoint. You know, so we, we have to be very careful that, you know, we are being open to them, not traumatizing and keeping that line of communication open. And uh, again, another horrible, you know, scenario, four-year-old girls, uh, one of them was being abused and the other one didn't know the abuse was something that was wrong. So she's sharing it with the other four-year-old girl. And the mother of the second four-year-old happened to come in and, and see this. And go, oh, my God, that's bad. Stop it. You're bad. Well, what they got in their head is I'm bad. Not that what something somebody did to me was bad. You know, and that would happen to be the woman's uh, boyfriend was doing those things. And, and so we have to listen to what the children are saying. Uh, my wife and I are big proponents of don't force your child to hug and kiss that that family member, especially when they go, I don't want to. Um, that same man who I said he liked nine-year-olds, when we went through his photo album, it was very clear afterwards what was going on in photos, what he was doing to her in the swimming pool, what he was doing to her while he was while she was sitting on, on his lap, you know. The perpetrator gets so comfortable that the child won't say anything or will not be believed. They can go to that next level. Yeah, that's that's unbelievable. I think um, a lot of parents still say, "Hey, go go hug or kiss them goodbye," you know, and marry Uncle Charlie, and and you know that's just not this day and age. It shouldn't be allowed. I mean, I, I like hugging. I enjoy hugging. I think there has to be touch involved somewhere uh, between parents and, and their children and things of that order. But to force it, and if they're uncomfortable with it, uh, why do that? Well, and then think about how we want to empower a child, right? Um, to go over, this is my body. And people don't get to touch it. But then we contradict that with, well, go talk to, you know, go give Uncle Charlie a, a hug or, and a kiss. You know, he's the one doing it. And, and, and the child doesn't know what to do because the child has been taught to be obedient, to listen to their parent, listen to their elders. And Uncle Charlie is abusing that. We only have a couple of minutes as we, we close out the program tonight. What do you think is the best wisdom, especially over the holidays now, uh, to protect our kids as they are with, because like in my situation, and I know we, we talked a little bit with your wife before the program. I don't know if in her situation it happened in her home, but in my situation, it was all familial and, and, Everybody knew everybody. They, they, they knew their names and they came over to the house all the time. 
uh, with all these holiday events and things that are happening, how do we keep our kids safe? And uh, how frequent do you think uh, those people that we know, our family's aware of, are the ones that's doing the perpetrating? A lot of families have that family member where they all know he's a he or she's a little off. Like, mm, we're just going to keep our kids away from them. Well, they keep theirs, but what about all the other 20 family members getting together and things like that? So part of we got to be aware. And, you know, for those Uncle Charlie scenarios, that's not acceptable. You know, um, I should say it. We can't be afraid to check in on our kids when we're having these family get togethers. Go spend some time in the room where the kids are playing. And when if you have a child who's isolating. Go, hey, what's going on? You know, just talk to them. But the the best word I learned, which if we were look like, you know, uh, Spider-Man in the Spidey senses, the best word a child ever taught me was creepy. When they tell me somebody's creepy, they don't know how to articulate what is going on with this person. But they're like, he's creepy or she's creepy. Listen to that and protect your child from them. You know, um, I'm not saying go confront Uncle Charlie. Hey, my kid says you're creepy. Why are you creepy? And, and things like that. But listen to your child and talk with them. You know, uh, I, I, my wife and I were both forensic interviewers. So things we might say is creepy. I heard you say creepy. What's that mean? And try to get them to give you their definition of what creepy is. Um, This sounds bad. Uh, I I was doing a a criminal case and I had to do a search warrant at a judge's house. The judge's adult children, so he had a daughter and a son. It was then they each had a, a child. So the grandchildren one child was perpetrating on the other one. There's a, there's a big difference in an age group. And so as I'm leaving with evidence from his house, and it's sad, he walks me out to my, my police car and says, you know, this is horrible. He says, I'm sure my grandson is guilty of what he's being accused of. But again, this is a judge both of his children were in different aspects of law enforcement. They should have been able to be aware, but they weren't. Why? Because oh, the kids are just playing, you know, they're in their rooms doing this and things like that. It's you as the parent need to be able to go into any room, anytime, I'm not going to say bathroom necessarily, but you know, when the, when the kids are, are playing and things like that, you need to see that there's playing appropriately, you know, yeah. and, and, and listen. Yeah. Parents need to be vigilant uh, and not be apologetic for that vigilance uh, and over protecting our kids. What, what, like I said, at the beginning of the program, what treasure on earth do we have that's more valuable? I can't think Precisely. of that. And if we don't, Jason, who will? Who will protect if we don't? 
Well, I, I can't think of an answer for that because if we're the ones who love and care about them and we're raising them and we should be around them the most, if we can't do that, then we're going to have to help or hope and pray that there is an intercessory and that is a teacher, a nurse at school, a nurse at the doctor who asked that question that you said <laughs> has not been asked, you know, um, that they feel comfortable to go talk to somebody. And, and we were talking to our, our pastor not too long ago, and he was actually asking, he says, can you guys come and talk to the kids? Because we're finding out that this is more prevalent than we ever thought. And it's happening to middle school and high school kids all across America. Um, one last question, and we got to close out. How much do you believe in something that I say to every one of the speeches that I do, that I think probably the most important thing, one of the most important things, is that you have been given inside of you a little detector an alarm system inside of who you are. And women have this alarm system that blares a little louder than us men. That when something says, I just don't feel right about this, that we need to act on that intuition in that spirit's movement of, hey, wait, there's an alert here. And the parent needs to say, no. How much do you believe in that internal response of especially motherhood of that alarm, that knowledge that we've been given by, I believe, a divine uh, person uh, to say, hey, wait, this doesn't sound right. This doesn't feel right. Act on that. 90% of the people that I counsel uh, with parents said, oh, I knew I shouldn't have allowed them to go that night. I knew there was something wrong, and they didn't act on that. What's your opinion of that alarm system that we've been given? Like you're talking a lot about discernment. Yes. So, so we're listening to that. And, and here's the, the thing. I would rather act to protect my child than have to hold their hand while they're injured. Wow. And so by being proactive and acting on that, that, as I was saying, that little spidey sense that told me that word creepy, you know, Act on it because your child knows you're loving them. They're, they're, they're going to be mad at you. Yeah. But we can live with that. Where the other part, when they're hurt, it breaks our hearts. Yeah. Trust your gut. Trust your Absolutely. gut. Yeah. Jason, I can't tell you how uh, happy I am. I appreciate, appreciate I am of you being on the program tonight and sharing your wisdom. I want to have you come back. Uh, at any time. Do you have a, a website or an email or contact information if somebody wants to get you to come uh, to their organization, to their school, to their church, uh, to their community, just to share uh, what you and your wife uh, travel the country sharing? How would they get in touch with you, Jason? The uh, the easiest way to get in touch with me is from my, my school email. So it's Jason, J-A-S-O-N, dot fray my last name f-r-e-y at cal c-a-l 
Baptist, B-A-P-T-I-S-T dot E-D-U. So jason.frey at calbaptist.edu. I've had that for, for many years. And what I find is I feel very comfortable using that. I don't get spam and all that through there. It always gives me the proper context to send things out. Very fantastic. Well, thank you so much for uh, being with us tonight and, and sharing your wisdom and tell your wife that I know is just on the other side of the computer. Uh, I thank her for sharing you uh, with us tonight. And you have an awesome, awesome and blessed Christmas. And we'll have you back. And I'm looking forward to seeing you uh, hopefully in San Diego sometime. But also you'll be in Hawaii, right? Correct. I'll be there, too. And that's going to be awesome. Looking forward to meeting you and your wife. All right. Take care, Greg. Thank you. Like we do each and every week, I always like to close the program with this last little thought I do in every program. No matter what's going on in your life right now, we're getting ready to hit some stressful times. This week is probably going to be the most joyous week that you've had, but it also may be the most anxiety-filled week that you have of the entire year. I just want to give you a little tidbit. Don't expect perfection because it's not going to happen. So if you burn the ham... If you uh, undercook the the bread, don't get all excited. Enjoy the family. Enjoy the time. And don't forget to uh, really, really, really remember what Christmas is all about and that gift of that Christ child. But no matter what goes on, I want to let you know there's always hope. There's always hope. And Christmas is all about hope. Don't forget that. We'll see you next week for another edition from Houston, Texas, of Breaking the Silence. God bless. Have an awesome week. We'll see you. Good night. Thank you for listening to Breaking the Silence with Dr. Gregory Williams. To contact Dr. Williams, dial 832-396-396. 6525 or email him at shatteredbythedarkness at gmail.com and don't forget to join us each Sunday night at 8pm Central Time 6pm Pacific on BBS Radio Station 1 for the next episode of Breaking the Silence Breaking the Silence